Well, hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode on the Better Bible Reading Podcast with Kevin Morris. Today, I want to talk about themes in the Bible. I don't know how often you have thought about, interacted with, studied different themes that seem to come up in the Bible again and again, but I would highly encourage you to take some time to really think about these and interact with them because thematic studies in the Bible are another layer, another way that we can deeply connect the dots between the Old and the New Testament. Sometimes when we think about themes in the Bible, it's tied kind of directly to biblical theology. And biblical theology, while it's not in opposition to another way of studying the Bible, which we call systematic theology, though it's not in opposition to that uh, endeavor, it is distinct because on the one hand, we can think about systematic theology, what we do when we're studying, for example, Peter Van Maastricht's book on Teaching Thursdays. We're kind of tackling the doctrines and the different categories uh, that come up throughout the Bible. Um, That's what systematic theology is kind of focused on, whereas biblical theology is more about the progressive revelation uh, from Genesis all the way to Revelation, the beginning to the end of the Bible, uh, what God teaches us about himself throughout the course of redemptive history. And because it's that kind of progressive revelation idea in biblical theology, kind of a uh, linear study, if you will, uh, whereas Systematic theology is more of a circular study, kind of looking at all the different angles uh, in one sitting, one exhaustive uh, concept. Um, The idea of biblical theology is commonly tied to that idea of themes in the Bible, because the way that we see God revealing himself throughout the course of redemptive history, throughout the course of the beginning of the book of Genesis to Uh, the conclusion in the book of Revelation that a theme, a concept, an idea is introduced to us uh, towards the front end, if you will, in Genesis, and then it's teased out, it's expanded, it's, uh, we can start to see the additional layers that are tied to it as we continue to read, as we continue to make our way through Scripture. And that's a very helpful thing for us to uh, devote ourselves to studying because it begins to shed light on a certain concept, on a certain theme that we might not uh, readily see on our own if we just think of a certain concept uh, and think about it exclusively as it's shown in this book or in this book. One of the themes that I think is helpful for us to think about uh, comes from the book of Proverbs. I recently had the privilege of preaching Proverbs chapter 2 at my church, and when you look at this chapter, 
uh, we can say several things about uh, the content. Uh, the first is that Proverbs chapter 2 is a really good banner statement for the whole rest of the book in terms of how wisdom is introduced to us. Uh, if you have an ESV Bible, you'll see that Proverbs chapter 2 is entitled The Value of Wisdom. You have this uh, commission, if you will. You have this encouragement, this exhortation given to uh, the son of the writer. Now, the idea here is that these are either words, historically speaking, that were passed on from David to Solomon, or we could even say that these are words uh, passed on from Solomon to his own son. And the idea is, the Lord has taught me the value of wisdom, and I want to teach that to you. I want to pass that along to you. And as you see, uh, the exhortation to appreciate the value of wisdom, we can see that it plays out in a variety of ways. We can see that wisdom is something that comes from the Lord. Uh, we can see that wisdom is something that protects us from evil, that protects us from the snares of this world, and also that there's a promise, there's an inheritance to those who have wisdom. So there's a lot of uh, kind of biblical themes popping up uh, as we read this because we suddenly realize uh, that this is not only a historical conversation between the author and his son, uh, but this is a conversation to think about the goodness of the Lord, a conversation to think about the goodness of the law of God, what it means to walk in covenant with God, what it means to think about lessons from the past to protect us from sins of the future and sins of the present as well. There's a lot of things going on in this, uh, and I don't want to necessarily rehash all the things that I spoke about when I preached on this, but instead I want to focus on those kind of thematic angles and the, the riches of biblical themes that we can draw from this book. In the case of Proverbs here, it's very interesting because we can take that idea of theme and we can branch out, if you will, to the very beginning of the Bible, the very end of the Bible, and then roughly the very middle of the Bible, where we find this very passage in Proverbs chapter 2. I'm going to read the entirety of Proverbs chapter 2, and I want to do that because I want you to think, as I read this chapter, I want you to think about what kind of storyline, what kind of theme, what kind of narrative flow we have presented to us in Proverbs chapter 2. And I said the very beginning and the very end of the Bible because I want you to think about how this passage could relate to something that we find in Genesis and something that we find in Revelation. So let me read this chapter for us, Proverbs chapter 2, and then we'll try to investigate how this theme that we have before us can be related all the way back to Genesis and all the way forward to Revelation. My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, 
making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding. Yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice and watching over the way of his saints. Then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity, every good path. For wisdom will come into your heart, and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will watch over you, and understanding will guard you, delivering you from the way of evil, from men of perverted speech, who forsake the paths of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness who rejoice in doing evil and delight in the perverseness of evil, men whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways. So you will be delivered from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words, who forsakes the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. For her house sinks down to death and her paths to the departed. None who go to her come back, nor do they regain the paths of life. So you will walk, in the way of the good, and keep to the paths of the righteous. For the upright will inhabit the land, and those with integrity will remain in it. But the wicked will be cut off from the land, and the treacherous will be rooted out of it. Now on the one hand, we could read that and just say this is a helpful, poetic, wisdom literature bit of advice for us about wisdom. But If we read that and we're thinking about what kind of passages we might find in Genesis or in Revelation that could speak to this, suddenly we realize that this passage serves as what we might call a meta-narrative, that is, an overarching narrative, an overarching story, uh, that is not only significant to Proverbs, but it's significant to biblical theology as a whole. It's significant to a thematic study of the Bible as a whole. Just think of the way that that chapter flows. You have the proclamation of the goodness and the value of wisdom. You have a covenant God who calls his covenant people to walk in wisdom, to walk in his ways. You have the warnings of what that looks like if we were to not walk in wisdom. And the end of the chapter has the aftermath of what it looks like when that warning of not walking in wisdom is ultimately realized in our lives. That verse 22, the last verse of the chapter, says the wicked will be cut off from the land, the treacherous will be rooted out of it. Now, I'm thinking of two specific instances in the Bible. There's more, but I'm thinking of two in particular. One in Genesis, one in Revelation. In Genesis chapter 3, we have the fall of mankind. We have Adam and Eve who eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil after the Lord has commanded them not to. And we have the aftermath of what that looks like, that they're banished out of Eden. We could say it this way if we were to apply this narrative of Proverbs chapter 2 to the narrative that we find in Genesis with Adam and Eve, is that these two were created in the image of God. 
They were given a command which implies that they are in a covenant with God. There are obligations for them because they are his covenant people. And he is owed obedience and worship and respect and honor because he is their covenant Lord. God gives them a warning of what it will look like if they were to disobey him and eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil after he's commanded them not to. And then we have in chapter 3 a serpent, just like the adulterous forbidden woman here in Proverbs 2, who has smooth words of deception. And Adam and Eve, instead of deciding to walk in wisdom, in integrity, they decide to go their own way. And what happens to them? Well, they're banished out of Eden. They're banished from the immediate presence of the Lord as they enjoyed in the garden. They're removed from the experience of worship and communion that they had with God prior to their downfall. So there's one example all the way back in Genesis. Now let's think all the way forward to the book of Revelation. In the book of Revelation, we find a description of the new heavens and the new earth. I'm thinking specifically of the closing chapters of Revelation, where we have a description of the new Jerusalem, the new heavens and new earth in chapter 21. And we have this warning that While the one who conquers, this is in verse 7 of Revelation 21, the one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But, verse 8, as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. You have in Revelation, if you were to study the the entirety of the book, you can see a theme that the people of God are analogous to a bride in white, a pure woman who does not forsake communion and unity and faithfulness with her husband in favor of all the ways of the world, all of the idols of the world, all of the sexual immorality of the world. And because of that, she is deemed, because of her husband, because of her Savior, she's deemed pure and spotless. And she's presented in that way to her husband. And they go on to dwell in the new heavens and new earth, safe and secure in the land, if you will. Whereas those who are not part of the bride, those who are not pure and white and spotless, they are consumed with the evil and dirt of their wicked ways, and they're banished from the new heavens and the new earth. They're cast away here in Revelation 21 to the lake of fire, the second death. So you have a warning, both in Revelation as well as Genesis, to walk in wisdom, to keep covenant with our God, and to not go the way of the world, not to take the wide road, but to keep on the straight and narrow path of wisdom. And it's interesting to me that in this 
passage in Proverbs 2, you can see how it relates all the way back to the early narrative of Genesis, as well as uh, the final story, the final end for God's people in the book of Revelation. I think that's interesting for a couple reasons. Number one, because we have a theme here, a theme of wisdom, a theme of remaining and dwelling in the land forever versus being rooted out of it. We have a theme at work that seems to transcend biblical genres. Well, think about it. Genesis is a historical narrative. Proverbs is wisdom literature. It's poetic. It's figures of speech in a lot of ways. Revelation, it can be argued, is its own genre. It's apocalyptic literature. So you have a lot of symbolism. You have a lot of analogies being drawn that aren't necessarily meant to be taken in a wooden, literalistic sense. Uh, Obviously, it speaks to a literal reality for God's people, but Revelation is full of signs and symbolism. And yet, the theme, the idea, that we find in Proverbs seems to be a theme that speaks to and relates and connects the dots between various genres in Scripture. I think it's interesting because we really have in this a connection between the beginning, the middle, and the end of our Bibles. And suddenly we find that what is before us in Proverbs chapter 2 is not just something unique to Proverbs chapter 2, but it's something that really speaks to the meta-narrative, as I spoke of earlier, the overarching storyline of the Bible. And suddenly we can draw the um, connecting dots between Proverbs and Genesis, as well as Proverbs and Revelation. Because think about it, Jesus Christ is presented to us as the great wise one, He is the one who, when we are in fellowship with him, is wisdom from God. He is the one who is greater than Solomon, the wise king. He is the one who does not fall prey to the temptations of the devil, but remains in wisdom throughout his uh, temptation in the wilderness. Uh, He is the one who the world looks to as the one who speaks on behalf of God. He is the great prophet. He is the one of ultimate authority. He is the great king. He is the one of final sacrifice, the great high priest. And all three of those, prophet, priest, and king, all three of those are understood in light of those same themes of prophet, priest, and king that we find back in the Old Testament. You can see how they're paid off, if you will, by the time we get to the New Testament and learn who Jesus is and what his ministry is all about. So I hope this is just a very simple yet profound example of the value of tracing themes in the Bible. Sometimes we can get caught up in Old Testament versus New Testament. We can draw a hard line of separation between the two, between the final verse in Malachi and the first verse of Matthew, and treat those as two separate things. Well, other times we are willing to interact the Old Testament with the New Testament, but maybe we're not willing 
uh, to cross boundaries between biblical genres. After all, our Bible is arranged like a library. It's uh, categorized based on genres. I mean, if Genesis all the way to Revelation is, a, is arranged according to genres. It's not given to us in a strictly chronological sense. You have Genesis to Deuteronomy. That's the law. That's the Pentateuch, the first five books, the Torah. Then you have Joshua to Esther. That's the historical writings. You have Job through Song of Solomon. That's the wisdom literature. You have Isaiah to Malachi. That's the major and minor prophets. You have Matthew through John. There's our gospel accounts. You have the book of Acts. Then you have Romans all the way to Jude. Those are the epistles, and they're even arranged based off of whether they're attributed to a specific author like Paul or Peter or John, or if they're general, such as Hebrews. And then we have the book of Revelation, which is kind of a mix of various genres or its own genre as apocalyptic literature. We have a tendency, even if we're willing to cross testament lines, that we're not willing to cross genre lines. And and while we really need to respect each book of the Bible according to the genre that it's communicated to us in, because that really uh, signifies for us how we're to go about that interpretation process, we ought to be willing to cross genre lines because it seems like the Bible is willing to cross genre lines. As I referred to in our passage in this episode, Proverbs 2, that's in one genre. Genesis is in another genre. Revelation's in another genre. We could even look to the life of Israel as a nation. They're delivered out of Egypt. They're uh, given the law of God. They're, they enter into covenant with God as a nation, as a people. They're uh, being taken to the promised land, but there are extensive warnings that are given to the people all the way during the life of Moses, on and on to the judges, and then finally the kings of Israel, where if they are to become like the nations, uh, serving the gods of the nations, serving these idols, turning their back on God, forsaking him, it's interesting, God refers to their covenant disobedience uh, in adultery terms. So there's that bride, there's that purity motif, that theme that we see in Revelation uh, spoken of for Israel. And what happens? Well, they do exactly that. They adopt and adapt their worship to include all of these false gods of the Canaanites, uh, even the gods of Egypt and so on. And they are rooted out of the promised land. They do not remain in the promised land. That's exactly the storyline that we see in Proverbs. It's not only proverbial, but it's, uh, in some ways, uh, it serves as prophetic. Because it's telling the story of what is just about to happen to Israel after the death of Solomon. You have the splitting of the kingdom into the north and the south, and then you eventually have the undoing of the north and the the south kingdoms uh, by Assyria and Babylon. And they're rooted out of their promised land. And then comes Jesus in the New Testament, the one greater than Solomon, the one greater than David, 
to enter into a new covenant with his people, one that is entirely uh, determined by his obedience, by his sacrifice. And if we are in him, then we no longer have the threat of being rooted out of the land, of the new heavens and new earth that we're looking forward to because it's based off of the perfection of Jesus Christ that's applied to us. It's based off of the wisdom of Christ that's accounted to us. And because we're in covenant with him, we have the promise that we will be wise ourselves. We will be like him. We will be conformed into his image. And it's all on grace. It's all based on the unmerited favor of God applied to us so that we don't have to repeat the cycle of Adam. We don't have to repeat the cycle of Israel. And this is really why the story of the gospel becomes richer and fuller when we have these themes in our minds, when we can see the connected dots between the different genres of the Bible, between the Old and the New Testament. And I just hope that this is one example to motivate you to dig into these themes even more. Because what I just read is just one example of innumerable themes that we can find in the Bible. And they all point us to Jesus, and they all have the effect of causing us to rest in him and all he has done for us. Well, friends, I hope that this was truly beneficial to you, and I hope that it really does motivate you to dig in deeper to your Bibles. Here is to better Bible reading. I thank you for listening. I thank you for being part of the community, uh, for supporting me on Patreon and all of you who uh, have been longtime listeners. I greatly value your time, and it means the world to me that you uh, continue to interact with these episodes and what I have going on over on YouTube and as well as the Better Bible Reading website. Uh, please make use of those. If you only listen to the podcast, there is more to learn. There's more to take advantage of over at betterbiblereading.com as well as, well as the Better Bible Reading YouTube channel. Well, I'll see all of you on another episode real soon, but until then, take care.